This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 22nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, county approves 2024 budget. Regional traffic, a mixed bag. A look back, stoked to shred at Telluride Skate Camp. And a mountain weather forecast. We're wrapping up 2023, but another year lies ahead. Earlier this month, San Miguel County passed its 2024 budget. County Manager Mike Bordonia spoke with KOTO's Gavin McGough about the priorities and projects it includes. Bordonia begins explaining this year's property taxes were based, for the first time, off pandemic-era real estate prices. Thinking back to 2020 and 2021, here's Bordonia. As we all know, that was a period of incredible increases in um, values of homes. And that resulted in an actual value increase of 41%. Obviously, when the commissioners were hearing this, they were, got really nervous. And especially for folks that may have gotten here a long time ago and might be retired or those that are on the margin and trying to uh, look at um, how they could provide some relief from that proposed large increase. In the end, the county limited its capture in the 2024 budget, leaving some in the pockets of area property owners. We tried to capture approximately 19.6% of that increase, leaving about $1.23 million off the table um, that we could have collected, just trying to be cognizant of the, the burdens that it was going to place on our residents. That said, the budget is still up a bit over prior years. Um, It does include some grant funding. What is the total for county operations in 2024? We're looking at a 19% increase in our expenditures, which is kind of correlative to the 19.6% increase in uh, property tax capture. So we're looking at $36,196,386 in expenditures. Property tax-wise, we're looking at $3.5 million more. Uh, So I understand that when the county goes to make its budget, it uses a bunch of goals um, in order to shape its priorities. And and the commissioners set those goals this year. Uh, What are those? We held a two-day retreat process this year, and they refined their goals. We reset goals every two years. And they reconfirmed housing um, and the development of affordable housing as their number one initiative. Um, increasing health for behavioral health, uh, behavioral health services as their second, and then taking more and additional actions on their climate action plan is their third highest goal. And what specific projects will help the county meet those goals? Some of those things are we're continuing and finishing our $500,000 contribution to the medical center that was split between the end of this year and the beginning of next year. Uh, the replacement of the Appleball Bridge south uh, between Placerville and Sawpit. We're working and we will be completing our countywide composting program um, to have a comprehensive program for uh, the entire county. We're uh, initiating a diversity, equity, inclusion plan for the county. We'll be working on completing the Lawson Hill uh, intercept lot bike path connection to the Telluride bike path. Um, We're increasing our jail-based behavioral health services, and there's so many others. When we spoke last year, you were looking at bridge projects, some park projects, some paving stuff. How did all of that go in 2023? Some went well, some did not. 
Um, the Appleball Bridge was one of those bridge projects that um, we had to wait for supplemental funding for, and we've received bids for that, and we are on track, um, hopefully, to award that bid here in the next couple of weeks and get under construction. Uh, the paving projects were completed, however, uh, on the east end and then some out um, in Ilium and other locations. The Ofer Road paving was uh, held up because of the timing of when we got to those paving projects. As we all remember, we had a late spring, which kind of pushed back a lot of the other paving um, and road maintenance projects. So we ran out of time on Ofer Road, so that's proposed to be completed next year. The Mill Creek Park was one that our commissioners wanted us to pause on this year until we could really um, see if there was any way to use that parcel for housing or other community purposes. But it does appear that we are um, going to move forward and construct that park. That's going to be about a $350,000 endeavor there at Mill Creek, adding services for the public um, that use that area. Um, all right, Mike, working on this budget, is there like a word or a phrase that makes 2024 stand out for you? I think that the overall morale of the county is really high right now. We're almost uh, at full staffing, which we haven't been in, at in numerous years. Um, we have staff that understands their work plans and is are really excited um, and feel like they have the resources to do it. It's a noticeable difference than previous years where um, staff's always been motivated, but sometimes we didn't have the staffing to be able to accomplish these projects. I think that this is going to be a really exciting year because we finally have a full team. Um, we're excited to finally make all these projects happen uh, within the next year. That was County Manager Mike Bordonia speaking with Kodo News about the county's $36 million budget for 2024. If you ask Matt Skinner, air travel in the region and nationally is so-so. What I basically have is a lot of mixed bag kind of uh, reports. Skinner is the CEO of the Colorado Flights Alliance. He presented before Telluride Town Council earlier this month. Skinner says, across the board, confidence in travel is good, but not great. Everyone's really excited about travel, but somewhat uncertain about their own financial positions. They feel like it's a great time to, to, to spend on travel, and that seems to come up. But at the same time, you're running into high costs, and, and uh, well, basically high costs is one of the main impediments at this point. This winter, air travel is lagging. We've been running down on winter 5 to 8% from out of the gate, and it has not changed. And even with some surges and some dips, it, it seems to be holding right at that level. While Skinner says that leads to a consistent down, the shape of the data when put on a graph is still pretty normal. Fairly high during the holidays. And then you can see this year where we had an extra week between Thanksgiving, no big groups this time of year, that we're down. Like we're down in December pretty good, double digits. If we take the two weeks of Christmas, we're dead even. The two weeks of Christmas look absolutely normal, but if you feed the third week in there that we've been getting over the last couple of years, we're down probably 13 to 15 percent on that gross numbers. The good news, bad news piece, Skinner says, is the trends we're seeing in Telluride are similar to other resort communities across the state. Reviewing the summer, Skinner says travel trends flipped from the past several years, where the Flights Alliance was seeing increased numbers in the shoulder seasons. May was very soft for travel. We had tough weather. Um, you know, we had a couple of reduced flights actually during that period. 
but it was very soft. And then June started up and stayed up the entire time. Um, July was actually dead flat until it got super hot in our markets. So the big heat wave, if anybody can mm-hmm. think back that far. And it actually spiked it a little bit, kind of running into the early August. August stayed strong, but then dipped for wedding season and bumped back up after. Again, it's this kind of mixed theme that we have that ran through. Summer ended up, and I think between 5 to 7% up overall, you know, carried by that middle piece. But obviously, as our priorities go, we're trying to punch the shoulders ahead. You know, and we're working again hard on the capacity as, as we go there and not looking for heat spikes in July. <laughs> so where does the region stand in the big picture? I don't think anybody's ringing any alarms. It, you know, it's it's it seems to be steady. The shape of things look normal. If there are any giant holes in kind of our patterns, I think that we would be a little more alarmed. But there's certainly, you know, a downward trend at the moment on the overall kind of holding where it's at, I guess, is where I started and and also finishing. When it comes to flights in and out of the region this winter, there are daily flights into Montrose from Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Houston, and New York. Montrose also has flights at certain times in the winter and week from Austin, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Finally, there are flights into Telluride from Denver and Phoenix. As 2023 draws to a close, KOTO News is looking back and rerunning some of the biggest stories, or at least our favorites, from the last year. Today, we're rewinding to July. A major 2023 highlight for the news team was the addition of summer intern Grace Richards. She took a spin through Telluride's skate camp. It's 9 a.m. on a Friday, and the Telluride Skate Park is a beautiful kind of chaos. Everywhere you look, kids careen over the dips and curves of the rolling gray sea of cement, caught in an ephemeral rush of momentum and balance. They wear outrageously colorful knee pads and patterned wrist guards, cheetah print leggings. There's even a fuchsia unicorn horn helmet in the distance. You can hear the squeak of their trucks underfoot, an outcast song playing on distant speakers, and coaches encouraging kids to be brave, to try again when they fall down. Keep doing that, right? Repetition, what's going to put it in your muscles? Aubrey, nice line. You okay? Are you okay? Okay, then get out of the bowl. (laughs) This is Telluride Skate Camp, a 16 years running program for people of all ages to learn the physics-defying art of skateboarding. Coach and owner of the drop board shop, Craig Wasserman, stands in the middle of the fray, guiding a wobbly-kneed child into her center of gravity on the board. Uh, my name is Craig Wasserman. I've been skateboarding pretty much my whole life. Wasserman, a retired art teacher, has been running the program since 2007. A bunch of kids that I started coaching and teaching back in 2007 and, you know, 2008, 2009, they're now my coaches. Skateboarding has long been a male-dominated sport. But I think that's only because a lot of little girls haven't had role models that show them they can do it too. But Wasserman says he sees that changing. With skateboarding in the Olympics, with Sky Brown, with all these young girls going for it, now they're like, oh, I can do that too. There is no shortage of little girls shredding the dips and hills of the skate park. If you count right now, I think there's more girls at camp than there are boys. And that's stepping up the level of skating, and it's also giving girls more confidence to walk tall in the world, too. Two boys crash into each other in a tangle of arms and legs. (laughs) You guys all right? 
It takes them only a second before they dust off and run after their boards, which have shot in opposite directions. No doubt about it, skateboarding is hard. It takes coordination, consistent practice, and a willingness to fall a lot. A young girl in a purple helmet named Shelby tells me she's been skating for a while. Like eight years. She's taken her share of tumbles. Balls happen. Injuries happen. It's part of the sport. It's different than football. It's different than softball or soccer or other sports kids play where we're just doing this for fun. We're kind of all on the same team. We're not trying to win or even be the best. We're just trying to have a really good time down here and share in the love of this kind of freedom that skateboarding offers. Wasserman says that skating cultivates the soft skills he remembers trying to teach kids in the classroom. Respect and patience and perseverance and dedication and focus and all these wonderful life skills. And skateboarding is so hard that it just teaches those things. So if a kid gets hooked and they start skating and they push themselves to get better, they're going to learn all those awesome life skills. And the biggest one that they can learn is dealing with fear. For children, fear often feels bigger than they are. When you get scared, you can either stop what you're doing and not try it, or you can be brave and try it anyways and face your fear. And that's what we teach kids from you know, five years old all the way up through adults. We teach them to face their fears, and then they can go and use that outside the skate park. Skating gives these small children the confidence, scrappiness, and self-esteem to hit that steep drop, shift their weight into a kick turn, or shred the bowl. They learn to look fear dead in the face. Public speaking, foreign language, math class, um, you know, dancing in front of other, like who cares? Whatever it is, they know how to deal with their fear and they can feel confident and walk tall outside the skate park too. I'm KOTO reporter Grace Richards. To find more of KOTO's featured stories from the year, go to KOTO.org and click Featured News Stories under the News tab. Paid parking went into effect in the town of Mountain Village on Friday. Drivers will now have to pay for parking in the gondola parking garage and the Meadows lot, and hourly parking rates are going up in the Heritage parking garage and North and South Village center lots. Drivers can pay the day or hourly rates, which range from $10 to $50 a day depending on the lot and day, but residents, employees, and regional residents are also eligible for parking passes. Resident passes cost $100 and will be valid through 2024. The permit allows for parking in the Gondola Parking Garage, Meadows Lot, and North Village Center Lot, two-hour free parking in the South Village Center Lot, and free parking along the Rock Wall in Market Plaza after 3 p.m. Valid registration and proof of a 12-month resident in Mountain Village is required. A commuter employee pass also costs $100 and will be valid through April 7, 2024. The passes are transferable to encourage carpooling and allow for parking in the gondola parking garage and the Meadows lot. Proof of registration and proof of employment with a physical presence in Mountain Village is required. Finally, the local pass costs $200 and is valid through April 7, 2024. The pass allows parking in the gondola parking garage and Meadows lot, valid registration and proof of residency in the Telluride R1 School District or San Miguel County is required. Parking in Mountain Village will remain free during the summer months. 
Mountain Village residents, employees, and regional locals can apply for parking permits online at bit.ly slash TMV permit parking. With long winter nights and days full of eating food, is there anything better than snuggling up with a holiday movie? Casinos.com did a deep dive based on Google Trend data to find what Christmas movies families in Colorado are watching. Coming in 10th is The Polar Express, followed by Love Actually, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Miracle on 34th Street, and Home Alone. The Grinch is the fifth most beloved Christmas movie in the state, with A Christmas Story in fourth, A Christmas Carol in third, and It's a Wonderful Life in second place. But the best Christmas movie, according to Coloradans, according to Casinos.com, is Elf. So what makes the movie so magical? Christmas spirit. Everybody knows that. There's snow in the forecast for the holiday weekend, bringing the hope of stunning Christmas turns, but also hazardous driving. Heading into the holiday weekend, the Colorado Department of Transportation is urging drivers to prepare for winter driving conditions. According to CDOT, tires with at least three sixteenths of an inch tread is essential. The department recommends having an emergency kit with extra clothing, water, food, and other essential items. Once you're on the road, take it slow. Don't make sudden stops and leave plenty of following distance. To alleviate anticipated high traffic, CDOT will suspend all road construction from Friday through noon on Tuesday, December 26th. More than a week after an oil spill on agricultural land near Shiprock, New Mexico, some Navajo residents in the area say they have concerns about the pace and scale of the environmental cleanup. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements reports. A pipeline owned by a subsidiary of Navajo Nation Oil and Gas breached on December 11th near a school bus stop outside town, causing crude oil to flow across land used to graze cattle and into gullies that lead to the San Juan River. Some Navajo families who live next to the spill are asking for transparency from tribal officials about the severity of the accident and their plans for remediation. Beverly Maxwell is a member of the Navajo Nation and a resident whose land was impacted. I mean, if you don't have clean water, if you don't have clean land, you don't have clean air, you know, what? what's more important than that? After heavy rains later in the week, Maxwell says she saw oil flowing into a canal that leads to nearby farms. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. There are lots of things to do around the holiday season on the Front Range. One thing that has become a firm favorite is Denver Zoo Lights. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Ben Armendariz brings us this report. It's that time of year again. The holiday season is upon us, and for the past 32 years, the Denver Zoo has played host to a luminous tradition that has become an essential holiday to do for Colorado friends and families. With a plethora of lighted figures and special attractions like ice sculpting, a train ride through the zoo, oh and of course animals you may have never seen, all with food and beverages along the way for kids and adults, the Denver Zoo Lights is a holiday experience for all. To learn more about the 32-year holiday tradition and how it all began, I spoke with the Director of Communications at the Denver Zoo. My name is Jake Cubier. I'm Director of Communications here at Denver Zoo. And yeah, Denver Zoo Lights, it started 32 years ago and it was actually started by 
a group of volunteers who saw a similar holiday light event at a zoo in Ohio and brought it back to the CEO, Clayton Freiheit at the time and said, hey, we saw this really cool event. Do you think we could try something like that here? So it really had humble and kind of surprising origins. It started with 25,000 lights or so. So just kind of a few trees lit up here and there, a few kind of cool displays. And I think the first year they only had about 27,000 people. Um, and at the time it was called Wild Lights. So from 1991 to now, is it's incredible to see how popular it's become, and especially for families who who grew up here and have been here, it's become this multi-generational event that people come to every single year. There's also one special night of the year in particular that's tailored specifically to those with sensory processing disorders. It's a really special night, so it's on New Year's Eve, and it's, it's Zoo Lights Low Sensory Night. So this is an event that's specifically designed for people, families uh, with autism, other sensory processing disorders. So it's it's the zoo light experience, but we take away some of the effects that can trigger um, individuals who have some of those disorders. You know, loud noises, flashing lights. We we hand out sensory kits and things. So it's it's a really cool opportunity for a lot of families who maybe don't always get to you know take their kids out um, or family members out for some of the great holiday events. We we kind of have a special evening really reserved for for those individuals. If you're like me, you're probably wondering just how many lights are there? We're uh, right at about 3 million lights. Um, So we have uh, all LED lights, which is really cool. So we've actually saved a huge amount of energy, electricity over the years by switching to all LED. So every year becomes more sustainable. But yeah, 3 million LED lights. This this campus is is well illuminated. (laughs) After hyping me up, Jake finally took me on a stroll through the zoo to check out the lights. Cool, well this is kind of the main entrance. Uh, This is the first thing people see. Um, We kind of direct people to the right here and this is kind of our Colorado themed area so you'll see the Colorado flag and lights. Um, And one of the really cool things too is every year uh, we build a new animal sculpture kind of depending on what's going on. So uh, as you walk around the zoo you'll see these really amazing light sculptures um, and those are all connected to maybe a high-profile animal birth we had or a new exhibit opening Um, so it's just kind of this progressively improving experience of course December nights can get a little chilly but luckily there's places along the way to warm up yeah we have these great fire barrels Um, there's food stations all throughout the zoo hot chocolate um, hot chocolate with adult beverages uh, in, included <laughs> and lots of great snacks and kind of other seasonal seasonal foods. So now all of a sudden you see the, the theme and the colors and the feel change dramatically. Um, the music in the background, the you know the lanterns and hopefully as we go around the corner we'll see some Asian elephants or maybe some of our greater one-horned rhinos. After getting the full tour, I couldn't pick my favorite part of the zoo, so I had to check in with a few of the guests to find out what their favorite part was. We uh, really enjoyed looking at the live animals. Uh, The hippo uh, was my son's favorite part, and then the elephants and the giraffes. I think I liked when we went to see Dobby. I think that was pretty cool, and I liked the lights. I know mine. (laughs) Mine was we watched the elephant lay down and go to sleep, (laughs) which is cute. Denver Zoo Lights will be open through January 7th, and tickets are available for purchase online at 
denverzoo.org. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, this is Ben Armendariz. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 30 degrees. One to two inches of snow accumulation is possible. Saturday, there's an 80% chance of snow showers with a high in the mid-30s and a low around 15. Four to eight inches of snow accumulation is possible. Sunday, snow showers are likely with a high around 25 degrees. Sunday night, there's a chance of snow showers with a low near 10. This has been the news for Friday, December 22nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Monday and Tuesday for the Christmas holiday. We will be back with our regularly scheduled news programming on Wednesday, December 27th. And now, a personal commentary. Hi, this is Douglas Tooley. It is Friday, December 22nd. 2023. What in the world is really going on with the accusations of anti-Semitism and civil rights violations on American college campuses against those that stand for Palestinian rights, including the presidents of MIT, Penn, and Harvard? I myself lost two college Facebook friends over a comparison of Israel to Nazi Germany, a graphic post of a mashup of a swastika and the Star of David dripping blood. Yes, strong imagery, but the comparison is valid with both Gaza and the West Bank comparing to Nazi-era Jewish ghettos. This Nazi comparison is now becoming commonly accepted. For much longer, the comparison to apartheid has been established in international law. The Israelis do have a claim to the Holy Land, but simply enough, the Palestinian claim is much stronger. Yes, the Jewish people have suffered, but so too have the Palestinians. It's not just the 12,000 dead, the 90% displacement, obstruction of medical services, and the starvation happening now, but also the Nakba, the catastrophe, with the formation of Israel in 1947 and 48, and the post-World War I Ottoman Empire collapse, and the Palestinian revolt of the 1930s. Curiously, the post-World War II colonial formation of Israel was the last of a collapsing empire, perhaps its last assertion of inappropriate global dominance. Certainly, the U.S. is in a similar situation now, losing, possibly losing, yet another imperial war of proxy and provocation as our global importance fades to that of China. The point has been made that the technology and techniques used in the allied Israeli-U.S. assault against Gaza could be used anywhere in the United States. Although we are a nation separated from church, the comparison of U.S. law to the progressive Jewish sect of Jesus and his followers is relevant. Crucifixion in the time of the Romans was a punishment for a crime against the state. Today, we have, in letter of law, codified the general gist of these early Christian efforts. In spirit, now, are we really any different from the Romans of antiquity with a dual standard of law? Does crucifixion still exist? For those that effectively speak to the rights of all, albeit a kinder, gentler form without the cross. Are conservative Christians and Jews, along with a declining number of corporate Democrats, just repeating that state crime against the people of a very bloody Holy Land 20 centuries ago? Would the election of Donald Trump repeat those crimes against the people of America? Or can we defend the Buddha-Christ child in most of us to be sovereign, king, queen, not of a nation-state, but just our own selves? Merry Christmas, at least to most of you. 
Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.